Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Good. That's great. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, uh, as I've been here a couple other times, so I always enjoy worshiping with Grace Bible. I've known uh, Pastor David for about five years, and he's become a friend, as well as Autumn has been a friend to my wife, so got a good pastor in that. I have to say, on a bit lighter note, I have been called a seasoned married couple, but this is the first time I've been referred to as an oldly married couple. I'm not, I'm not even sure what that is exactly, but I'm going to take that one home with me. Um, it, it is funny. I, people ask me about living in Waco. I've lived there my entire life. Um, I don't know if this is kind of pathetic or unique, but I've, I've never been outside of Waco for a stretch longer than two weeks. Um, and it's not because I was trying not to. I just, things have, I've traveled and done different things, but God has rooted us there. And it's very interesting. Um, we do ministry with people I, I knew in elementary school. Um, they're popping back up. Um, I've done funerals for people. I knew their parents. They're in their 80s now. And so God's given us a, an opportunity, not just in pastoring, but just in living our life in a very unique way. I, I have, I'm friends with my friends. I'm friends with my kids' friends. I'm friends with my dad's friends. I've got this just kind of stretch. And so it's really joyful. And the other thing I'll, I will just say about living in a place for a long time, particularly with family, and if you've been able to do something similar to this, it's a blessing to you, and, and it might be an encouragement to those who don't get to see their parents a lot, to really work hard to see your aging parents. Um, my dad and I, 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 I don't know exactly, but I don't think we've gone a week or two without seeing each other in 56 years. We've been in church together, we work together, um, lived near each other, and he is now in a memory center, and it's different, and he'll probably pass away in the next year or so. Uh, but what a joy to, to have time to, with your parents. So wherever you are in life, if you have parents still living, uh, make your aim to sit with them, to be with them, uh, to do things with them. It's just been a joy, uh, and I encourage that however much you can. Um, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 3, so you can turn to that if you'd like. Um, we're going to get there in just a second. Before we get there, I want to tell you about a conversation Jesus had with his disciples, one that you may recognize. This is from the book of Matthew chapter 16. He asked this question. He said, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who, who do people say that I am? And people said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say another prophet. And he turned to his disciples and he asked the obvious question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who is always quick to speak, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So I want to ask you a question this morning to think on for the rest of our time together. Who do you say Jesus is? Follow-up question that is, do you know? Do you know or do you want to know who he is? Today I hope I make it clear who he is from his word and so that it finds its way into your heart as you trust in him. You know, the, excuse me, you know, the vast majority of the 8 billion people that live on this planet, you know, we crossed over to 8 billion last year. They don't know the answer to that question. 3 billion are ignorant to it because they've never heard the gospel. The rest who don't know the answer to that question, it, it, it's because their eyes are veiled to that. The truth is veiled to them right now. But let me just say this. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know the answer. Your eyes that were once veiled, darkened to the truth. 
the veil has been lifted and there's revelation of who Christ is has come to you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word of God, through the spoken Word of God, through the works of God in the world. And so we need to be able to give a very clear answer, Christian, who He is. And if you're not a Christian today, I want you to leave here today knowing who He is. Believing it, testifying to it, confessing to that, that truth in your life. And so let's jump in to Luke 3. And we're going to be at verse 21 and 22 for just a few minutes. And then we're going to go through the genealogy. This little two-verse passage, it's one of the most significant moments in the life of Jesus Christ. In one short statement, Luke gives us this vivid picture of what's happening in the life of Christ, who he is, why he's here. There's, it really tells us a lot in a few words. And it kind of kicks off his earthly ministry. And so let's read what he says. Verse 21 of chapter 3 says this, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's three things that happen, and then sort of supernatural events begin to happen. People were being baptized. John the Baptist was baptizing all over the place. And then Jesus was being baptized. Now we're going to take any time for that, but just so you know, John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus there in the water. And then Jesus prays. Some people wonder, what was he praying? Was he praying for more of God's presence in his life? Was he praying for the, uh, the Holy Spirit? We don't know. I mean, he was fully God. He, he had the dwelling of the Spirit, but, but he's praying to his heavenly Father. And then the Bible, and some of your pastors say, and then, and then three things happen. Three somewhat miraculous things happen. The first is that the heavens opened up. The second is a dove descended. And the third is the audible voice of God rang out from the heavens. This has to be an incredible event. Just imagine being there, watching this unfold before you. And so what's unfolding, as we're going to suggest, is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry and his family tree. Because Luke takes time to describe that. You might call this Jesus' holy ordination, his divine inauguration, his cosmic coronation. This is what's happening here. Jesus is basically giving him his blessing for his earthly ministry. You live 30 years, and now it's ready, you're ready to begin all the things that we, many of us, read about in Scripture that he was doing, beginning at the age of 30. So I want to talk about these three supernatural events. First, the heaven opened up. The heaven opened. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if that was a, a crack in the blue canopy of the sky. I don't know if it was just clouds moving apart. I'm sure many uh, producers of movies have tried to represent what that looks like. Maybe you've seen it in The Chosen. I don't know if they did it there. Maybe other movies. But the heavens opened and this dove comes in from somewhere, maybe out of the heavens, maybe from somewhere else, and this dove descends. And many people ask, well, why a dove? I mean, why, why a dove? Why not a, an eagle or like a hawk or something like really majestic like that, right? Well, you know, the reason we want that is because, you know, if you look at Christian schools around the country, many of them use a hawk or an eagle as their mascot. It makes sense, right? I mean, it's a warrior bird. Right? That, that's strong. Can you imagine if a school said, hey, we're going to be the doves? And we're, 
We're going to take this 16-year-old kid and we're going to put a dove uniform on him and let him run up and down the field trying to get the fans all whipped up into a frenzy over the football game. It ain't going to happen. I mean, that just would not work at all. No one's getting excited about a mascot called a dove. And that's because a dove is a bird of innocence. And Jesus was a man of innocence and purity. It represents that to us. It's not a warrior bird. It's a dove of innocence. But not only that, in the Old Testament, you know what they did to the doves. Because it's a lowly bird, they sacrificed these doves. Isn't it interesting? That Jesus could have sent any bird he wanted. And he sends a bird of innocence and a sacrificial bird to represent, to come down, to send upon the innocent, sinless, sacrificial Jesus who in three years is going to give his life for them. What a beautiful picture we see of that. And so we get the tangible picture of it, and now we get the audible hearing of God saying these words, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. It's a term of endearment. I'm pleased with you. Some of you have said that to your children. I'm pleased with you. He's pleased with him. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, we read these words, Behold my servant, whom I behold, says God saying this, My chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I'm pleased with him. I delight in him. I put my spirit upon him. Notice the joy and delight in those words, the sheer just pleasure that God has for his son. Incidentally, he even had pleasure in sending them to the cross because he knew what would happen. He knew that he would appease his own wrath. He knew that he would usher in reconciliation for billions throughout history. So it delighted him all that he did with his son. In Psalm 2, 7, it says, I will tell of the decree. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. I don't think begotten is on a lot of vocabulary tests in our school system. Most of you don't use the word begotten very often because your children weren't begotten and we weren't begotten by God. It's different. It's unique position Jesus has. Begotten means to bring in to existence. He literally brought Jesus into physical existence at his birth. Now, I know that Jesus has always existed with the Father. You can look at the book of John, chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He dropped down to 13, and the Word became flesh. But he was with them. The triune God has always existed, eternally existed. But now we have this begotten Son coming into the world, this manifestation, this incarnation into the physical realm of earth. And he shares the same divine nature as God. He didn't leave it in the heavens. And so some people use the phrase, he is the infinite God-man. The infinite, infinite past, future, God-man. As opposed to us, we, we are God's sons and daughters if you're in Christ, but you're adopted in. I'm adopted. Some of you here are adopted, you're, or you have adopted a child. Oh, but they are your children. And what a beautiful expression of the gospel, isn't it? If you're adopted or you've adopted a child, I want you to know every day your family expresses the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world just by the sheer fact of what you've done. Because that's how we have relationship to God, through adoption as his sons and daughters. We're not begotten from the Father. 
Well, Jesus was. And he's standing there. Get this picture. So we don't know how much water was used. I mean, they're Baptists, right? John the Baptist. That's what my grandmother always thought, by the way. She literally thought the Baptist church was... Anyway, um, so she always says, well, John the Baptist was Baptist, you know. And uh, so... so uh, couldn't argue with her, I guess. I don't know what to do, but, but they're, they're Baptists, so they're not sprinkling. This is a, they're going to immerse Jesus, right? He's being immersed. So there's water all around. He's wasting. He's being baptized in front of this crowd. And you've got to know that while he's being baptized, he's already knowing what Paul is going to say in Colossians, what the writer of Hebrews is going to say. They're going to say these words, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So standing there in the water in front of a crowd of people is the image of the invisible God. The manifestation of God here on earth. Hebrews 1 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance. He's the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This was God incarnate standing in front of them being baptized. The exact imprint of the nature and being of God Almighty. Now I want to tell you something. None of us are the exact imprint of anybody else. We are unique, down to our fingerprints. Years ago, I was in business with my father, and we would go on sales calls together and meet with clients. And one day, we were walking down a hallway, and a man we did not know walked past us. He looked at us, turned his head, and he looked at my father, and he goes, you spat him out. I was like, say what? <laughs> what? Spat him out? My dad said, he just means you're the spitting image of me. I appreciate that. I always tell people, if you see my dad, you'll go, yep, that's what Jay's going to look like when he's 89 years old. It's really clear what's coming. And so, so he's a handsome man. Come on. Is it? But uh, my point is this. Like, I am not the exact imprint of my father. And you are not the exact imprint of your father and mother. Jesus was the exact imprint of God. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Peter got it right. He got it right. And he's God incarnate. Yes, he is that too. But I got to tell you, there is a growing number of people, even within the evangelical church. When I say evangelical church, that's just kind of a, imagine kind of a window frame. And there's about four or five tenets that, that we would say that makes us evangelical Christians. And my guess is if you're a Christian here today, you would agree with all four or five of those points. They're pretty basic. Now, there are people who are of faith, who have some differing views uh, that are maybe Greek Orthodox or some uh, born-again Catholics and different things like that. But when we talk about evangelical Christians, they've done polls, Lifeway um, publishers, Ligonier Ministries gone together, they've done some polls to find out about what we believe and what we don't believe. That seems to contradict our state of faith. Here's one of them. The statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not... God. Yeah, I know. That, I hear it. You're going, hmm. How, how is that 43%? I, I don't know. I, it's more disturbing to me that it went from 30 to 43 in two years. How'd that happen? I was in the lobby after church, and a lady was telling me, she said, uh, she goes, you know, my grandchildren during COVID, they were just on their phone a lot. And they were coming to me and saying, well, I, well, I don't believe this. I don't think that. I, I, think, I think we turned things upside down a bit. Lockdowns, different things. We became isolated, all of us, adults and children both. And then we weren't at church. So we weren't 
breaking bread together and worshiping together and, and, and listening to the Word of God. And I think there's been an erosion of belief. Now, that number can change. It can go back down in this case. And I hope that it does. But if you're part of the 43% who struggle to believe that Jesus is God, I'm asking you today, believe it. Trust it. Don't trust me. Trust the Word of God to be true. It has stood the test of time. Declare it to others. Believe it. See, without Jesus being God incarnate to a lost and fallen world, without Jesus living a sinless life, which he did, and dying a sinner's death, which he did, and rising victorious to the throne of God, which he did, without that happening, we have no hope. Not in this world and not in the next. Peter got it right. We got to make sure we get it right. Because if we don't get it right, then we should pack up our bags and get in our cars and go home. There'll be no reason to be here. There'll be no reason to live. Just watch a football game tonight and drink coffee at that fancy coffee shop and then just die someday. And just be gone. Friends, I'm going to tell you right now, life matters right now because Christ is on the throne. What we do with our life matters. Who we share the gospel with matters. And when I die, and I hope when you die, you will go and worship at the throne of heaven forever. Worship at the throne forever. Well, I want to take a moment and just read the genealogy. This is a unique genealogy. It's not like Matthew. Matthew, he stops at Abraham. We're going to go all the way to Adam. If you're visiting today or you're new to the Christian life or you're just considering Christianity, just listening, I want you to know that genealogies do matter to God. I think it's his way of saying, hey, I'm not, this, this isn't just like just some story. Like this is... There's historicity in this. We can, we can trust the historicity of God's word because he gives us genealogies. I can trust the historicity of my family because someone has done the family tree. I think it's interesting. We live in a time that everybody wants to know about their family tree. Well, I'm going to give you a family tree that you need to know about. From Jesus to Adam. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Minna, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amidadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sereg, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, 
the son of Seth and the son of Adam, the son of God. Isn't that incredible? From Adam to Jesus. Matthew's genealogy was unique. Some people think he stopped at Abraham because he was trying to appeal to the Jewish believers at that time, Jewish people at that time, who wanted to know their connection to Abraham. But they believe Luke went ahead and did the whole genealogy because he's trying to get the breadth and the scope of the gospel. He's saying, look, this isn't just back to Abraham. I want you to know anywhere from Adam forward to me, the gospel is for you. It speaks to the inclusivity of the gospel, the universality of the gospel. Not universalism, I mean, the universality of it from time and space across the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to all, every tribe and nation, language, tongue. One author said this, Jesus is a new and second Adam, whose ministry will create and assembles a new race of humans who are not marked by Jewishness or non-Jewishness, but by the dove-like character of the Holy Spirit. Now, that must be ancient writing there because people don't speak like this as much, but we should. I want you to understand that through Christ, Jews and non-Jews, which encompasses, encompasses everybody in the world. You know that, right? There's Jews and everyone else are Gentiles, which is another way of saying we're not Jewish. That's it. And they understood that back in the day, Bible times. But that's everybody in the world. And when we come through Christ, it's like this new race of people in a sense, I know it's a strange term in our modern era, but it's like a new people are formed through Christ. And they have this dove-like character. We should be innocent and sacrificial, just like our Savior. And he brings us together. The second Adam does this. Now, the last words of that genealogy are profound. It says that Jesus is the son of Adam and the son of God. That's why we say he's the infinite God-man. He's connected to both. We can see his heavenly nature, his earthly nature, physical nature here on earth. And so what I want to do is is take you to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll put it on the screen in a minute. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 15 is the New Testament. Right after Acts Romans, it gets into 1 Corinthians. And use this terminology like he's going to use in this writing. The son of dust dust, and the son of heaven. Two, Two ways to look at Adam and Jesus. It says this, starting in verse 47 of chapter 15. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Right now, I bear the image of the man of dust. Adam is my forefather in that sense. We are human in nature. One gives birth to another until we get to where we are today. But as Christians, we are to bear the image of the second Adam, of the Son of Heaven, of Jesus Christ. There's a famous pastor back in the 17th century, 1662 up to about 1714. His name was Matthew Henry. Some of you recognize that name. He's a British pastor and author. He wrote one of the most comprehensive commentaries that we have today, uh, written many, obviously, years ago, um, but it's been passed down. Now, you can Google it and find the whole Matthew Henry commentary, like, just on your phone. Um, some of you may come across an old copy like I did. I have my wife's grandmother's copy, and uh, she'd be about 110 years old today if she was living. And that, that thing's about that thick. I thought about bringing it just 
pounding it right there. But, um, but it's neat, right? You smell the aged paper, you know, in that. But this man spoke so eloquently back in the day. He said this, Christ was both the son of Adam and the son of God, that he might be a proper mediator between God and the sons of Adam and might bring the sons of Adam to be through him, the sons of God by adoption. All flesh as descended from the first Adam is as grass and withers as the flower of the field. That's us. But he who partakes of the Holy Spirit of life from the second Adam has that eternal happiness, which is by the gospel preached unto us. I think we need to take that word, that phrase, and brand it today in our culture. Let me ask you, do you have an eternal happiness in Jesus? Do you have that? I'm not saying a glib happiness. Like you, I always say, you know, you, you can, in this present age, you can be happy with a brand new TV or a, a trip to a restaurant. That can make us happy. That's not the happiness we're talking about. You can buy happiness. You can't buy eternal happiness. You can buy temporal happiness. In fact, I might go to Rudy's after this. If anyone wants to go with me, it's right around the corner. That's some, etern- that's some temporal happiness right there. But only through faith in Jesus Christ do we experience eternal happiness for all eternity. If you would, turn with me to Romans 5. I want to say one more thing about Adam and Jesus. I just want to build this one more level. Adam's sin brought condemnation. That's what his sin did. And Jesus' gift brought justification. You know, we hear the word justification. Just to remind us, justification means to be made just before God, to be set right before God, right? So, so it's why when you're working on Microsoft Word, you can justify print to the left or justify right, right? And, and so it's moving one or the other. So when we are justified before God, he's moving us to a, from a place of condemnation and justifying us under the throne of God. And that's what Christ does. Because on our own, we remain condemned. We, we remain distorted depraved apart from God. So let me read 15 through 17. You can read along on the screen. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I I want to encourage you to go back to Romans and read that passage. Maybe start a little before and a little after. And just just take time to do that. If I was your pastor today, I, I would probably even assign it for your life groups I said, just, just rest on that. Read, read Luke 3, 21. Read that if you want. Gideachi started and jumped to Romans 5. One of, the, one of the greatest passages, I think, in arguably the greatest book in the Bible of Romans. And so let me just kind of put this in bullet form. If you want to take notes on this, you can. I, I've decided I'm going to send this out to Pastor Dave. If he wants to send it to y'all, he can. Listen to what it says. Many died by the trespass of the first man, but... The free gift of grace abounds for many through the second true and better Adam. 
The next thing he teaches us, judgment following the trespass of the first Adam brought condemnation. But the free gift following the trespasses brought justification through what? Through the second true and better Adam. Because of the first Adam's trespass, death reigned. But through the second true and better Adam, we can reign in righteousness. One trespass brought the first Adam, led to condemnation for all mankind. One act of righteousness, one act of righteousness by the second true and better Adam leads to to justification and life for all who believe. Do you understand that, what he's saying there? It it took one act of true righteousness on the part of Christ, the act of sacrificing his life on the cross, that act of righteousness that appeased the wrath of God, that made it so you can be reconciled with the holy God even though we come with all our sin. That brings life and peace and joy and eternal happiness and righteousness for all of us who believe in Christ. What a joy it is to juxtapose looking at what Adam did to contaminate all of humanity and look at what Christ came to do in the second true and better Adam to bring us to God. This is hope. This is, this is what I am literally like betting my life on this. I'm standing before you. I, I'm, I'm all in. Right? I, I drove from Waco because I'm all in for this. And I want you to be all in for this. Without any equivocation. Let me go back to these stats. Let me give you a couple more that just to round this out. Here's another one about the evangelical church of the United States. 38% of U.S. evangelicals believe that religious beliefs like the ones I just articulated to you from Romans 5 are a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. This is an objective truth. Now, people say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I understand that. You're just saying you don't believe in an objective truth. I, I, okay. But this is an objective truth. I'm not, I'm not here to debate that, like to, be, to, to, to change my opinion on that. Because once this isn't objective, and this becomes a subjective reality of what my opinions, then I got no hope. We have nothing left, right? You know what's interesting about this? is the number, just like the other one, went from 23% to 38% in two years. Folks, what's going on in our world today? We need less people speaking this truth. Not more. Not, not, I mean, more people speaking this truth, not less. We need, we need more Instagram accounts speaking truth. We need more preachers preaching truth. We need more college students on the campus speaking truth. We need more missionaries like that young lady that left here six years ago going into the world and speaking truth. If this is true, that leaves a lot of people, a lot of people that claim to be Christians with a distorted belief left to their subjective reality of who God is and what he's done. And if that's us, that's any of us, it leaves us open to believing almost anything or believing nothing and being okay with just whatever. Listen, here's the most startling statistic of the three I'm going to give you. This is the last one. They make this statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 56% of U.S. evangelicals believe that statement. And I understand, I think I understand what the impulse is. It's because God, God is love. God is, he loves everyone. So, so whoever is doing any kind of worship toward him, then he must, he must like that. 
But the problem is that's not what the Bible teaches. You might know these words of Jesus. Jesus said these two very succinct statements separately. He says, I and the Father are one. And then he said, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Islamic people need to believe in Jesus because they can't get to God through Allah. It doesn't work. It's not possible. The the inclusivity of the gospel is beautiful. Anybody throughout all the world, we want them to hear the gospel and can believe. The exclusivity of the gospel is important too, though, because it is exclusively through Christ that we find reconciliation with God. That's why the gospel is so important, to preach it, to proclaim it, to sing it, to taste it, to continue this in our life. Our life, our death, Our future hope is rooted in this. You know, when I think about this truth about the gospel, and I think about Jesus saying, God saying to Jesus, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Or some of your pastors say, pleased with. Do you know that when we come to Christ, do you know those same words can be said from God to us? You, you know, I hope y'all have experienced many times, if you're a Christian today, that you've been in your prayers and you have felt through the presence of the Holy Spirit, maybe through the words you've read it, you have felt this intimate love from your Heavenly Father saying, Son, daughter, I am well pleased with you because you bear the righteousness of Christ, because you surrendered to Him. Because he stripped away all your sin and justified you before me. I am well pleased with you. Even when I have to discipline you. Even when you fall short, I am well pleased with you. Do you know that God can't love you anymore? He can't love you any less. He loves you if you're in Christ. So my answer, question today for you, and you can think about the answer, is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? In the genealogy, it ends with, he is the son of God. And proceeded with, he is the son of all these others. He's the son of God. The second Adam, the infant God-man. The true and better Adam who came to save his people. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word today. God, I thank you for Grace Bible. God, I pray that this church would grow in its fervor every day for Jesus, that it would be on mission with that truth in Colleen and Harker Heights and the surrounding areas. Well, that people would rise up from here, feel the call to ministry, to go into all the world and make disciples. I think of young Chris here who's in college and interning, and, and he's, he's just asking that question, where do you want me, Lord? Here I am. Father, I pray we all can say, here I am, send me out into the world with the truth of this gospel. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. In your name, amen.